My name is Peter Nittler, and I am the college pastor here at FBC. And I want to welcome you to church this morning. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here too, people online. And uh, I want to tell you who we are and what we're about. And FBC is a, a community of people helping all people discover faith in Jesus Christ and to grow in love for God and others and then to become ambassadors of faith, uh, ambassadors of hope, pardon me, um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we want to do. And if you are, are new here or you're wondering um, how to get involved in that mission, how to get involved in life here, then um, I would love to direct you to the connect table that is in the courtyard, in the middle of the courtyard um, after the service. There will be someone there to talk with you and have a face-to-face conversation about how, um, how we can help and how we can get you plugged in or, or anything else you might want to talk about. So I encourage you to go there um, after the service is done. And I just have a few things to tell us about what's happening in the life of the church before we get going with our service. And the first is this big announcement, actually, is that the fall focus is starting next week. FBC's fall focus, which is usually sort of the unofficial start of our ministry year. And so if you are new this week and, you know, by the time you happen to come next week for the start of Fall Focus, for the start of the new thing, uh, you'll already be a veteran as we're starting the new thing. So welcome. For your, your, you're new now, but you'll be a veteran next week when we start our new thing. And let me tell you a little bit about the Fall Focus. Uh, the Fall Focus is going to be called Upside Down Happiness. And here is the deal. There are, um, you know, all of us, I would say, maybe I'll, maybe I'll hedge that. Most of us, many of us, you know what, all of us do this thing where we are probably living life in search of happiness. And that might look like a few different things. It might look like security. It might look like we're searching for financial blessing. That might look like we are searching for safety or, um, uh, or achievement or success. But I think all those things are trying to answer the question, what will make me happy? What is the thing in my life that if I had that, I'll be happy? And uh, I think this is much of the modern life is in pursuit of happiness. And the thing is, so many are not happy. And so what we're going to do is we are going to look at Jesus's take on happiness. And we're going to open up the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount to the Beatitudes um, to see what Jesus might have to say about happiness. And I think we'll be surprised. I think it'll be upside down wisdom and upside down advice, maybe even for how we can live a life uh, in pursuit of happiness, maybe a truer happiness. And so that's what we're going to be about. And if you come and if you only listen to the sermons, you'll get a lot out of the, uh, the fall focus. I know you will. But how much more will you get out if you come and you join a group and, and you bond with people together to not only talk about what we'll be learning, but just to do life together, to, um, to talk together, to pray together, to discern what God might be saying to you together. And so we encourage you, if you're not yet in a group, again, uh, we just don't want anyone to be alone here. And actually, FBC is designed for, for you to thrive mostly if you are in a group of people um, walking this life together. So if you are not in a group yet and you kind of are intrigued about the p- possibility, especially as we're starting up a new thing, to get into a group, again, I will, t- I will tell you to go to the connect table. And then Gazium will be there. Can you raise your hand for me, Gazium? He's right here. Guys, I'm right there. He'll be there and would love to talk with you about what it might look like to join a group. We got groups starting. It's a perfect time to do it. Last thing I'll say about Fall Focus is this, that we are, it's, it's really exciting that we're starting Fall Focus the same week we're taking communion together. And uh, I feel thrilled about this, that we get to start this thing and, and do, um, you know, one of the sacramental acts together. And, and so I would encourage you, especially if you're online, maybe try to come in person next week. 
Come in person, and with all the stuff you expect me to say, it's great to be live. It's great to be surrounded by people. Also, there will be swag. There will be stickers and all that stuff. But also, we get to take the, the, the bread and the cup together as a community next week, and it would be great to have um, our whole community together. So that is it for the Fall Focus. Very exciting. Hope to see you next week. The next is this, that every month or so up front, we try to give a little bit of a financial update. And, and the reason to do that is just to be transparent, see where we're at, and then also to communicate gratitude, that none of this happens without you all giving and sacrificing your uh, financial blessings. And so I want to say thank you. And I saw it first and foremost this week as we were out on campus and I was looking at our banners and our flyers and our t-shirts and like none of that happens if, if you guys aren't supporting it. And we can't be on campus passing out flowers, doing what we were doing, really blessing new students on campus. We couldn't do that if you weren't supporting us. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for supporting us. And so just want to say two things just to say, so we're about $23,000 um, in the red, just to let you know. And, and also just wanted to call your attention to something called the Benevolence Fund at FBC. And uh, I'm not sure if everyone knows what it is, um, either to take advantage of it or to, um, to give toward it. But the Benevolence Fund is actually, it's really exciting, I guess, on staff to be able to have this kind of thing. Because the Benevolence Fund is what we use to just really get tangible, practical, like in the moment financial blessings. Maybe to um, cover a month's rent if it doesn't work or to pay for some counseling sessions. Things that are needed sort of right now. And, uh, and that fund is sort of running low right now. And so figure that might be a good time to tell people if you want to sort of live into generosity, it might be smart or it might be prudent to give to the Benevolence Fund so we can continue to do that kind of work. And you can write Benevolence Fund on the check that you send in or choose it from the drop-down menu online. So just wanted you to know that that's there. And it's actually a really, really, really wonderful thing that our church does. So anyway... The last is this, the last thing to tell you about, is that college students are back in Davis. Oh. Good job. I didn't even have to prompt you for a round of applause. This is terrific. Yeah. But uh, so they're back in town and they're back in our church. And to you, college students, young and old, not a young, new and old, um, is this that, you know, a million years ago when this church was being planted, uh, one of the foundational reasons that a church was being planted here was to be a blessing to the university. It was to be a blessing to college students, to be a place for college students to come, um, to grow spiritually, and then to be launched into whatever comes next for them. And so your presence here um, is sort of a living manifestation of that initial prayer and that initial dream. And so it's really exciting to have you and, and to be able to see your face and, and see new faces. And so we just want to say we are glad you're here. I want to say I'm glad you're here. And, um, and I remember coming my first Sunday when I was a UC Davis student. And, you know, I'm spending all week with just people in my age group and just people who are freshmen, basically. And then I come here, and it's like a you know, it's like a multi-generational time warp. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, there's people that are not just my age. And, um, and it felt so warm and it felt so welcoming. And I'm hoping that that's the case for you. And so I just want you to know if I haven't met you yet, again, I'm the college pastor here. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you and uh, just love to say hi and love to chat about you and what makes you interesting. And also I want to invite you, any college student, um, that we are having a barbecue after the service. Um, Tri-tip, sides, drinks, fixings, the whole thing. So uh, we'd love to have you stay and eat with us and maybe you'll be able to meet some of the people uh, at church who might be uh, involved in college life in one way or another. So 
Um, thrilled to have you here and cannot wait to get to meet you. And uh, that's enough from me, I know. So why don't you stand up and pass the peace? Why don't you say hi to someone, maybe that you haven't met yet, and uh, ask them how their day is going? All right, let's go ahead and gather back together. College students, we are glad you're with us this morning and you're back at UC Davis. It is great to be with you here in the room and those of you joining us online. I'm Steve and I'm the senior pastor of FBC. If we have not met, glad you're here. Um, And if you haven't caught the other sermons that we've been doing here in September, then I want to encourage you to do so. Uh, you can go to our YouTube page and, and check it out, or, or you can go to your favorite podcast, you know, and grab our sermon from Spotify or Google or Apple. And I really want you to do this. I want you to get every sermon that we've done in this series, because during the month of September, we have been honing in, we've been focusing in on the gospel. Because all too often, we, we have equated the gospel with simply forgiveness and heaven, When that's the tip of the proverbial iceberg of what Jesus said about it in the Gospels, of how the New Testament then unpacks it and frames it. And we're doing this because we want to be able to get clear about this. And and here's the definition to give us some clarity where we've been thus far. We've said, the Gospel is the good news, not the good advice. The good news of God's kingdom breaking into history through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to redeem people, to renew human community. That's the macro view of the gospel, being about God bringing his kingdom into history, that he's brought the up there in heaven, down here to the brokenness and depravity of our world. And central to God bringing the up there down here is to redeem people. It is personal for you and for me to experience It is also communal because it involves all of us to renew human community. So it's more than just personal. It's also communal. And in fact, this little ellipsis here says that we've got one more thing to add this morning. All right? That we've got to add in one more piece to this working definition of the news of what God is doing, has been doing, and will be up to to complete one day. Now, to get going on this final piece of the gospel, I want you to consider this man. This is Dizzy Dean. He is a Hall of Fame pitcher from the 1930s. Anyone see him? No, you haven't. I know. Um, But in the early 1930s, Dizzy Dean was one of the best pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. If not the best baseball player, even winning the MVP in 1934. And just to give you a sense of how dominant of a pitcher he was, he struck out more batters than any other pitcher his first four years in the league. He won 30 games in 1934, 28 games in 1935. He had a bit of an off year. And 24 games in 1936, so he kind of went down, right? now. I mean, those numbers are unheard of in today's game. And so in the 1937 All-Star Game, he was selected to pitch. And he was pitching to this guy named Earl Averill, who hit a comeback line drive that hit Dizzy Dean in his foot and fractured his big toe. But it was his left toe, and he was a right-handed pitcher, so no big deal, right? Non-dominant foot for pitching. So how big of a deal could it have been? 
And Dixie Dean was very anxious to return to his team, and he was a tough guy, and so he quickly bounced back and began pitching in games as soon as he could. But that toe never fully healed, and it kept bothering him as he would pitch. So much so that he ended up changing his pitching motion to compensate, and it blew out his arm. He simply wasn't the same pitcher after that, and a couple of years after that broken toe, his career was over. A once promising career that could have gone on for years was cut short because Dizzy Dean had missed the significance of a left big toe and how important it was, in fact, for his pitching. But therein lies the danger of missing how significant something actually is. It can trip us up or blow up in our face or we're forced to compensate in ways that we shouldn't. And I raise this because we have this very real danger of doing that with Jesus. That even as people who would take Jesus seriously who was a religious leader, even as people of faith, even as people who might look to him to write our present, to, to ensure our eternity, we can get so comfortable with him and so accustomed to this idea of Jesus that we can miss how truly significant he is, how far his power and his reach goes into breaking God's kingdom into history. It goes beyond our personal faith, as we've seen. It goes beyond even creating a human community centered on him. Jesus' reach actually goes into all of the creation. So much so that I'd say this, he came to restore the creation. Not as a result of what he's doing, but core to what Jesus was up to in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And there are a number of scriptures that actually touch on this idea. I mean, John 1 or, or Romans 8, Hebrews 1, Revelation 21 and 22. But there is this hymnic and poetic section of Colossians 1 that basically stretches our imaginations so that we'd actually internalize this preeminence that Jesus Christ has with his lordship over creation, his lordship over the new creation that he is doing. And his implied call on us to take up the creation mandate. And so if you have your Bible with you or a Bible app happy, handy on your phone, find your way to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. If you grabbed one of those blue Bibles on the chairs in front of you or on the tables around you, Colossians 1 is on page 983. And with that Bible open on your lap, with your app handy in your hand, you can listen along and follow along as Jordan Huang comes up and reads it aloud for us. And then afterwards, we'll look at the magnificence of Jesus and his reach and his work into all of creation. So come on up, Jordan. There you go. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything that he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, thank you, George. You can just put it right there. Yeah. This is the grand vision of the one that we know as Jesus. Engage your imaginations here for just a second and wander around in within it. That he is the invisible, he's the image of the invisible God. Making the clearest revelation of the one who can't be seen by the naked eye. Jesus makes tangible what is ineffable in God, much like a portrait or a statue does for William Shakespeare or Frederick Douglass. To see Jesus is to see God and what he's like in the highest form in the physical world. And as such, Jesus is, you know, the firstborn of all creation. Not in terms of being the first physical creation, because there was plenty around before Jesus wandered, walked the earth. So by being firstborn here refers to his preeminence, his authority, uh, his superiority, just like the firstborn in a family in Paul's day. Having a greatness in the family over the other siblings, a primary responsibility to them as the father's principal agent in the family. After all, the reason being is that prior to becoming human by him, all things were created. That is... The internal Son of God was God's means to create everything. With God the Father functioning like some master architect, while the Son acted as the foreman, the builder of the totality of creation. Wherever we look, whatever realities we think about, whatever discoveries have been made, whatever explorations we might want to make, all of it is ground he formed as the ultimate maker and the final creator. From all the way up there in heaven, all the way down here to earth. In what is seen by our eyes and in what is unseen by our eyes. In the vast hierarchy of angelic and, and demonic figures. It's ultimately all due to the eternal son of God in creation. This past summer, uh, Jenny and I finally made it to Yosemite National Park. Um, it was a long time coming because so many of you have told us get to Yosemite National Park. It only took us seven years to do so. So it tells you kind of our time frame. But we were thrilled to go there and just wander around and, you know, like see Half Dome in the valley. Right? That seemingly was everywhere we went in the park uh, that simply aroused this sense of awe, this sense of wonder with its magnificence. And then we went to El Capitan, you know, the site of Alex Hanold's famous climb on Free Solo. And we could never appreciate how massive it is from the movie, nor the Ansel Adams, you know, pictures that we have seen. They just not, could not do justice to the wonder and the awe of El Capitan. We felt dwarfed by this thing. And even more when we tried to spy the climbers on it, because we, we couldn't do it without binoculars that looked like a telescope, you know, a cannon, right? I mean, this dwarfing was only accentuated when we talked to the park ranger and he told us that it's even bigger when you're right face-to-face -face with it and right up next to it, which is why it takes days for most skilled rock climbers to even go up it. 
Yosemite was this tour of awe, this tour of wonder. But you've had your own, haven't you? You've had your own awe and wonder in this world that may have even snuck up on you and surprised you. That experience that can only be explained by a creator who makes us feel so very small and yet significant at the same time. I mean, this isn't explained with the vibration of our collection of molecules near a larger set of molecules. Even noted atheists like Salman Rushdie admit struggling to make sense of this sense of awe and wonder that in all that there is, you know, this collection of molecules having this reaction of wonder before another set of collection. It doesn't fit in his paradigm, and he admits it. That awe, that wonder are tangible evidences that there's a creator behind it dazzling us whom we may have missed. Like Dizzy Dean missed the significance of his big toe. And the foreman, the creator, the builder of creation ultimately is the one that we know as Jesus. And what is more, the very fact that all of these realities are still here and haven't descended into chaos is due to him as well. Because in him, all things hold together. The eternal Son of God is holding the puppet strings of the laws and the principles governing the cosmos, ensuring that it is sustained and continues to exist. The reason climate change hasn't burned up our world into oblivion is due to the one whom we know as Jesus, holding it together even now. The reason an asteroid hasn't barreled into our world and, and destroyed it, like some have predicted and like some movies have depicted, is because the eternal Son of God has held them at bay. And so as hard as it for us to conceive of, because we love science, I'm a math guy, I love science, my echo anxiety, your echo anxiety, actually fails to account for the entire picture of what's actually going on here, of this earth and this cosmos, including the Son of God, who's holding the puppet strings of the cosmos and keeping it all together by his word. When we valued, we valued the, the climate change, the creation is preeminent, when there is actually one above the creation, one above the cosmos, that we've missed in that picture and in our anxiety. It's the one whom we know is Jesus. You see, the eternal Son of God is preeminent over the whole of creation, having made it and built it like a carpenter and continuing to see that it sustains and continues on. So how could Jesus not involve the creation when he broke God's kingdom into history through his life, death, and resurrection? How could Jesus narrow his focus from the cosmos to only people or only a group of people? The answer is he couldn't. The answer is, is that he wouldn't. Since he is preeminent over creation, he also inserted his preeminence into the new creation. Look really carefully again at what Paul says in the rest of this passage. He says this, he says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There's a noticeable shift that happens in these verses from focusing on Jesus with creation to Jesus with the church, which is very clearly seen there, right? He says he's the head of the the body, the church, giving direction, um, going, give nourishment for life. He's the actual pope of the church. He's the actual senior pastor of the entire church and every local company of believers. It is not me here. And so... He's the beginning, the creative source, the tip of the spear in this restoration of the creation by virtue of his resurrection that made him the firstborn from the dead. The first one resurrected. Now, is that claiming too much for a simple carpenter or religious figure from Israel? Of course not. Jesus lived, he died, he rose to reconcile to himself all things. Not just people things. All, all things. Don't miss it and do a dizzy dean here. It's all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And so it's about all of creation being reconciled to God, including people. You see, what Paul's reflecting to us, it reaches all the way back into Genesis and how the beginnings are framed. How God created the first humans to have a relationship with him and each other. And from that spot, to represent God in overseeing the creation. In God's economy, people were always deeply connected to the creation. And as part of it, they were privileged uh, with responsibility to represent God as the caretaker. But then Adam and Eve, they sinned. Eating the forbidden fruit that embodied their desire to go their own way instead of joining and trusting God in his. They chose to be their own gods instead of having God as their God. And the results were absolutely devastating. They fell from grace. They unleashed decay, disease, evil, and death into their lives and into the lives of their progeny. But their fall couldn't be isolated to just themselves because of how deeply connected they were to the creation. It also unleashed decay, fallenness, and death into all of creation, making the creation experience this rupture, this breach with its creator that it once knew. Think of it like an earthquake, right? We're Californians. We're familiar with earthquakes, right? Me, not so much. So I had to call our resident expert, uh, Chris Croggy. He has a PhD in this stuff, and he works as a professional earthquake engineer. So basically, as best I can put it, as best I can do, in any earthquake, there's an epicenter where the earthquake happens, and that wreaks havoc on the surface of the earth. But that's not the only place that an earthquake wreaks havoc because from this epicenter, seismic waves are sent out extending havoc and damage outward for miles. And that's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve's fall. It was a spiritual earthquake of sorts, rupturing and severing everything from God. 
Adam and Eve served as the epicenter of that sin and fallenness, which then sent seismic waves onto the all of creation. I mean, maybe it looked, you know, something like this. Kablooey. That's why God breaking in his kingdom through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ goes far more broadly than just our forgiveness and just a place in heaven. We're connected to each other. We're connected to this creation. And so God sought to patch up the whole kit and caboodle and put it all back together again into wholeness. And so joining in with Jesus... Throwing in our lives and our lots with Jesus by taking that defining step of faith for us personally to confess our sin and ask Christ to come into our lives to forgive us and to lead us means nothing less than we are taking part in this massive restoration of the creation. It is what God was doing, it's what he is doing right now, and it's what he will complete in one day. The gospel is far bigger and it's far better news than maybe any of us might have thought because it, new, it includes the news of God restoring the whole creation. But I can hear those doubts floating around, right? Because it certainly doesn't look like the creation is reconciled, much less restored, Steve, right? I mean, just look, that heat wave we had, earlier, 110 degrees. That doesn't feel like it, right? Another hurricane in the Atlantic. That doesn't look like it either. The massive plastic trash heaps in our ocean. How can that be reconciled, right? Much less restored. But listen, much how like it functions with us personally, how it functions with us communally, this restoration of creation is a process. It's already been initiated, yes, but it has yet to be fully completed. One day, God will power wash the whole creation of its fallenness, its decay, its disease, its death and disaster in order to restore it to its gleaming wholeness and beauty. But that day is not yet here. Until that day, Jesus looks to God's people to extend in creation what he has already initiated by breaking the kingdom into planet Earth. By virtue of Jesus' vested interest in the creation as the eternal Son of God. By virtue of being the head of the church and the beginning of the new creation, Jesus has implicitly pointed us to take up what has been dubbed the creation mandate and to take it seriously. He's telling us, look back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Look again at what God has laid out for us to take our place in this creation and to get on board with what God is doing here to extend Jesus' reconciling work into all of creation. And so find your way in your Bible. Back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 on your Bible app as well. If you grab one of those blue Bibles, surprisingly enough, it's on page 1. So, but look there. Look at what it says here. After God made everything, and it says, and God blessed them. Don't miss that. This starts with blessing. We'll talk about that, but listen. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The creation mandate, it starts with a blessing. In essence, God is bestowing the creation as a gift and a privilege of responsibility to care for it. But he's doing it in ways that are the warmest possible ways that affirm this gift, but also our capability of being able to do this. And then within that frame of a divine blessing, God gives the mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. To fill the earth is simply to have children and for them to have children, to spread slowly over all of the creation. To subdue the earth sounds very violent to our ears, but, and especially with that dominion language that he throws in there later. But that isn't the sense that what's happening here. It was to work the land he's talking about, to work and till the soil and, and preserve it. This is a vision from God that the creation mandate isn't just for people to function like a barbarian that would rape and pillage the creation. Nor is it for people to act like a park ranger and not let anyone touch anything. Stay behind. This is the vision of taking the posture of a gardener or a farmer who looks at the raw materials of creation and rearranges it for greater beauty and more robust conditions for life. In fact, the full vision of this, if we play this out, is one where there is a horde of gardening postured people who would fill the earth working to make it even more grand and more beautiful by organizing it and rearranging it and working it to make it even more robust for human life, rearranging those raw materials fitting people's needs. This is what Jesus points us back to with his vested interest in the creation and everything he did to die and reconcile the creation back to God. And this is how we extend the work that Jesus has initiated with his life, his death, and his resurrection, which God will complete one day. And so there are at least two things that I can think of, of what this means for us. First, this commends us to be earth-friendly and environmentally friendly. We, of all people, should be the ones recycling and the ones who figure out how to personally conserve the earth's resources. We of all people should. I mean, in fact, it makes perfect sense that we installed solar on the roof of FBC, if you don't know it's there, right? Beyond, you know, the financial considerations, because we're generating almost 100% of our electricity that conserves those other resources so that they might generate electricity somewhere else. The creation mandate means for you and I, we should be seeking to care for the earth, to curb our own consumption of the resources, figure out ways how not to add to the waste, stay open to learning how we might be able to do that better. And if you'd be serious about it, interested in learning more about this, we have some resident experts who work in this field right here in the church, Shelley Brooks and Christina Chan. After the service, we put them behind a table in the courtyard. So after the service, you can go get your cup of coffee. You can meander over to their table after you go to the connect table, right? Meander over to their table, ask some questions just to engage, just to learn and get better at this. But doing that is more than what we can talk about right now even, but so much more than just being eco-friendly here. 
This is about stepping into the gospel and what God is up to. What Jesus has done to reconcile the creation to God and extending his work that God will come perfect one day. The second one is the work that we do is more than the goal of a paycheck or providing for our needs. It's about how we can add value to people's lives for them to thrive. Our work is God's delivery system in the creation of good to other people. So much so, Martin Luther used to say something funny. He'd say, you know, God is milking the cows to the vocation of the milkmaid. Your work has gospel-level significance. Whether your work is a job, going to school, managing the home, or spreading yourself out in retirement and all kinds of relationships that you have, it is part of the creation mandate. And so it's a part of doing what Jesus has done in reconciling creation to God. So listen. Do your job well. Help yourself out by making that connection of its kingdom importance and the good that you do in your work and how it connects to the good for humanity. And maybe even in the way you do your job, maybe we should do it with less complaining. What do you think? And a greater focus on the good we bring through our work. It's God's delivery system of that good to this world. And for the students, go to school well. Even though it may be boring. I get it, right? Add value to the teachers. Add value to the other students. Study hard because it trains you. And it preps you for future work. And then when you get down to choosing a job based on the good of what you can bring by your personality, by your passions, by your person, and not just the paycheck that's involved with it. And for those of you working at home, managing kids, your broader relational networks as well, bring the good you can uniquely bring because of who you are, the wisdom that you possess, the talents you have. Do all that because our work has gospel significance in extending Christ's reconciliation of the creation unto God. And one day your work, it will be completed and perfected by God one day when he restores the whole kit and caboodle. And so when we talk about the gospel around here, let's get really clear about what we mean here. The gospel is the good news. Again, not the good advice. It's the news of God's kingdom breaking into history through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to redeem people, to renew human community, and to restore the creation. And so let us not make the same kind of underestimating thing that Dizzy Dean did to the significance of Jesus. Jesus' significance is profound as he is in being the eternal son of God who created, who sustains, and who reconciled the whole of creation back to God. Jesus did nothing less than to bring the up there in heaven down here to earth for you and for me for people all around us, for the communities that we are in, and for the whole creation, the whole cosmos that we lay eyes on and can't even see. 
Jesus is nothing less than preeminent. And so, when we go out of here this morning, let's think differently. Let's feel differently. Let's speak and act to share the love of Christ, to show the love of Christ to one another, to the community, to the very edges of this whole wide world. Let's pray to that end, shall we? Dear God, when it comes to our mind about Jesus, so often is a miniature of who he actually is. And so God, I pray that you would expand our vision of Jesus this morning. That God, we would be able to shape our hearts, that you would reform our hearts around who Jesus and who he actually is. That yes, he's come for us personally. And he's come to craft this creation, this community for us. And that Jesus, you even extended this into all of creation. And so God, we pray that we would take great hope because this is what you are doing. This is not just advice that you want to give us, but this is news of what you are doing in our midst, in our lives, in our community, and in this whole world. And so God, I pray you'd give us wisdom to know what you'd have us do. I pray you'd give us a real focus in where we were to do it. And God, we pray that your kind of good would be delivered by our work, would be delivered by how we think about the creation and treat the creation, by how we treat people and how we think about ourselves. God, would you do that for your glory? Would you do that for our ongoing joy? And we ask this all in the incredibly powerful and preeminent name of Jesus Christ himself.